podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Steve Bloomers washing the independent Derby County podcast. We are back for a midweek special as Derby progress on all fronts. Thanks to a 3-1 win at Pride Park over Grimsby. We are ticking along nicely in the League 2, 100% at home and the best defence in League 1. Thanks very much after six games. And uh, once Rossini's Rams finally break their away duck, you, uh, you get a sense that we could really kick on couldn't we? Uh, Also ticking along, alongside me, Chris Parsons, I hope, are Tom Martin. Hello. Hello, mate. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Have have you got some news by any chance? Oh, well, I'm currently uh, overseeing a nine-day-old young ram, uh, Reggie, who was born on Saturday the 20th, so uh, that's very exciting and also slightly terrifying. Congratulations, my man. Fantastic. The the really pleasing thing is that... um, He's got a multitude of football teams that he could choose from his uh, his mother's side, uh, Liverpool, Everton, uh, just to name a couple there because they're from the northwest. Um, also, the local sides of Palace and Millwall and Bromley. Uh, but the only football stuff he's got at the moment is Derby County beard, and he thinks that Lewis Dobbin's a great dribbler. So he's a nailed-on ram for the rest of his <laughs> life. He's he's in good he's in good hands with us. He is literally welcome, Reggie. He is literally a nailed-on ram because I don't know if you've said it before, but his initials are. He's Reggie Alf Martin. He's literally a ram, which I I almost cannot believe you did that. But at the the same time, I very much can believe you did that. (laughs) Um, I will be honest, Chris, it was actually a happy coincidence rather than anything else. We had a... a, (laughs) You don't have to tell us that, mate. It was a coincidence. Honestly, you can say it was planned. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) It was a happy coincidence, but uh, we had a list of boys' names and we liked Reggie. And then uh, Alf seemed to fit it best as the uh, middle name. And then... um, the, the realization dawned after the the first time you said it out loud. I was like, "Oh, hello! Once a ram, always a ram," as they say. Alf seemed to fit it best. Cutch, are you buying that? Yeah, I'll buy that. Knowing Tom and Ellie, I'll buy that. <laughs> uh, it, 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 he wouldn't have got away with it if it was deliberate. So uh, I think it was a happy coincidence. But yeah, we're obviously all very delighted for that coincidence and delighted to to welcome Reggie to the SBW family as well. One hundred and ten percent. Well, playing the playing the role of. Fun uncle is Richard Kutcher. Uh, where, where have your globetrotting <laughs> adventures taken you, taken you this month? Uh, right now, I'm actually in a, in a hotel in Vinduk, uh, Namibia, uh, which is, I think, the, probably the most exotic part of the country, world that I've podded from before. I've joined you guys from South Africa before and from the United States before, uh, but my girlfriend's Namibian, so we're out here at the moment. Uh, and yeah, Wi-Fi is holding up pretty well in this hotel, and we're off to the coast tomorrow. You love to hear it. Fantastic. I mean, well, it's all happening on Steve Bloomer's washing this uh, this <laughs> month. But uh, as we said, a winning start then to uh, to the to Derby's debut football league trophy campaign. Uh, it's difficult to get hugely excited about a competition where we are playing a team who've been recently promoted from non-league in a group format, and also a tournament where Premier League sides can just put out their academies, but. Tom and Kutch, uh, winning is a habit. And most importantly, the Carabao Papa John's 
double remains on. <laughs> and Kutch, we uh, we scored some terrific goals tonight, didn't we? Yeah, some really good goals and some really good play. I don't think Grimsby offered too much resistance, to be honest. They didn't really press us aggressively. They didn't kind of form that low block that has frustrated us so much in the league um, this season. So I thought it was a nice opportunity for just more players to get minutes under their belts, some players who are on the edges to get games. It was great to see Mendes Lang back in the team as well after being out for personal reasons. And we played some really nice free-flowing stuff at times that it probably could and should have been five or six, to be honest. A sloppy goal to concede at the end. But all in all, I think a, a very, very good night. No injuries. Uh, Max Bird may be fortunate not to get sent off, which would have been a blow, I guess, with a, with a suspension after that. So it's good that he dodged that that red card for a kind of cynical foul. Um, but yeah, really nice to see. You know, Louis Sibley going from strength to strength. Dobbin looks brilliant. Again, as you said, Chris, against maybe limited opposition. But uh, I thought a, a really worthwhile run out and quite an enjoyable game of football to watch, which is not what I was expecting, to be honest. Yeah, well, Tom, I mean, the, the first goal, bit of a weird pinball effort, really, although some some nice build-up before Mendes Lang tapped in from a rebound off the post. Um, and then more, really, more impressive play, really, than players who have started the season pretty well. I mean, Louis Sibley continues to, to impress, got another goal, got another goal today after scoring against uh, West Brom in the Carabao Cup last week as well. Um, Mendes Lang scoring in another competition um, and then setting up Sibley for the second, but wow, well, Max Bird, talk us through that effort, Tom, a uh, absolutely sensational goal from uh, young Maxwell. Yeah, a cracking goal. The ball came in from the left, I think, from Sibley on the free kick. Uh, it was poorly defended, which I thought Grimsby, they, they showed their, their quality in the back, at the back line, which was not, not particularly great. And the ball fell to Bird and he was running away from goal, which I thought was the most impressive thing. And then to sort of hit it so sweetly and then take it into the top corner, uh, of the far side of the net was an absolutely fantastic strike, just curling away from the goalkeeper at all points. And I, I saw a few people on Twitter mentioning it, it as in the uh, Johnny Russell uh, against Forest sort of area of the goal where where he hit that that fantastic strike in the five 0 victory. Uh, and I can certainly agree with that one. And I'm sure we'll talk about Johnny Russell later when we talk about the uh, best goals of Pride Park. But yeah, brilliant strike from Max Bird. We know he's got that technique and that skill to to do that. And if you're going to want the ball to fall on someone's left foot outside the box or just on the edge of the box, it's going to be Max Bird for this in this derby team. So brilliant strike from him. Yeah, it was just that shape of on the ball, wasn't it, Tom? As he as he hit it, because he was naturally, as you say, going away from goal, and his foot kind of cut across it. It just naturally curled kind of away from the goalkeeper and then back into into that uh, kind of top corner, which is why I think it was reminiscent to a degree of of the shape of the shot from from Johnny Russell. But I think with Bird, I think that's that's kind of where you want him shooting. It's kind of where he hasn't got too much time to think about it, and because he can hit a ball so true, he's got good quality on the ball. But you just need him to kind of put his head down and and kind of just let the natural technique take over which is what happens and it'd be great to see him on the edge of the box a bit more often uh, for Derby in, in open play but I thought you know James Collins had a tough night but he won that free kick he just missed a good chance a really good chance or he was just frustrated from not getting the ball in the box and he came out unselfishly from a throw in won the free kick you know classic kind of Chris Martin fell on the ball probably wasn't even the free kick but he won it and that and we got the free kick and that's what he scored from so uh, I just I just thought the general attitude of the, of the whole team was extremely professional they got the job done while playing some some really good football yeah you, you mentioned him there but it just didn't quite happen again for James Collins did it like I, I feel bad in a way for we do seem to end up mentioning it in every pod, but, uh, you know, is what, six, seven, eight games without a goal. And, uh, well, just sort of summed up with a miss in uh, in injury time in that game against Grimsby with McGoldrick flashing it across goal and the ball just sort of bouncing underneath 
Collins's right foot with with the goal gaping. I mean, one of our patrons on, on our, our Discord channel, um, uh, Mark Coote, I think it was, sort of posted what he noticed about Collins was that he seemed to be looking a bit more despondent with each goal that Derby scored that didn't involve yeah. him. Yeah. But look, you can only really judge him on what he does when the ball's in play and and how he can affect things. And he he works so hard again tonight. Like, you know, he did drop quite deep at times, I thought, but he, he really gives defenders a physical battle. He wrestles with them. He, he gets the wrong side. He he does get moves going. What more can we really say, Kutch? He just needs one to bounce in off his ass or like he just needs a, a rebound off the post like Mendes Lang got or just something to to roll for him, which I'm I'm, I'm still very, very confident that it will in the next few weeks. Well, yeah, the, the Mendes Lang goal actually kind of sums up his luck, doesn't it? Because that's the kind of thing you need it. You need to kind of to, to fall for for Collins at the moment because I did think he got he looked increasingly um, lacking in confidence as the game went on. It did, didn't stop him from working hard. In fact, he probably worked harder as, as a result. There was a there was a classic moment in the in the first half where we broke. I think we were four on three. Mendes Lang had it on the right hand side, and, and James Collins was behind the player originally because he was involved. I think in winning the ball back. He broke forward, he busted along to get forward and get beyond the defence and looking for that ball behind. And Mendes Lang decided to cut in and, and try and play it to Louis Sibley. And he didn't make the pass to Louis Sibley. It was poor execution and poor decision making. And, and James Collins just, you know, obviously threw his hands up in the air. Doesn't moan to the same degree that Chris Martin moans. But there was other moments where I think there was a couple of times in the first half where Roberts was kind of on the left-hand side. Collins had made that run on on the shoulder and just needed that ball put into that kind of corridor in that six yard box and 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 Roberts decided to pull it back to the penalty spot to someone else and the kind of the move broke down. He missed though two really good chances. One in the first half at the both quite similar actually. One in the first half at the back post where he did get the shot off, but he just seemed a bit tentative. I think a, an informed Collins would have just put his, his side foot through it a lot stronger, a lot more kind of uh, definite, and it would have gone in. But he kind of just taps it to the goalkeeper to be honest and, the, and as you said the one at the end uh when McGoldrick flashed it across the face and he just didn't quite get his feet moving uh or get his feet onto it because it was again it was a, it was a harder one but it, it was possibly a tapping but the efforts there I I would completely persevere with him um I I just think he, he tonight was the first night when I thought he actually did look a bit despondent and and kind of lacking in a bit of belief if not the uh if not the hard work if Derby aren't scoring goals, then I'm going to be worried about Collins not scoring goals. But this Derby team scored two on two on Saturday. They scored three tonight. Uh, Nathaniel Mendes-Lang has scored a few goals and he has um, proved, proved myself wrong. I thought he would uh, lack an end product, which sometimes maybe he does, but he's chipped in with goals and assists so far this season, which is fantastic. Um, we could also look at Barkhausen for, for not maybe looking as sharp and as lively as I thought he was going to be. Uh, too. So I don't necessarily think this is a problem if, if Collins is going to have a little bit of lack of confidence in front of goal um, when other players are chipping in. And we've mentioned Sibley tonight, who's had a, a really positive start. And then Jason Knight got a goal uh, at the weekend as well. And if he plays further forward, I can see him chipping in with a lot um, of goals this season. So I think there's goals that come from all around this team. And um, we also, in that that same sentence, say Lewis Dobbin. I think he's looked fantastic since he's um, come in and I thought he played yeah. really well against Shrewsbury. Um, I thought he was ex- excellent in setting up the goal against Peterborough um, as well at the weekend. And and I think he's going to score goals too. So this Derby team have got goals all the way around the park. So if Collins isn't scoring and it looks a bit despondent, there's no harm in dropping him out and putting McGoldrick in there uh, for a game and even changing the shape a little bit. And I, I don't think that's a problem. And in fact, 
not ever, you're not going to have a, a season where you're going to be always on fire and always in bang on form. So if he starts slowly, and uh, I think in our first pod this season, we mentioned Stevie Howard taking, I think, eight games to score a goal. Uh, and then he scored almost uh, well 20 league goals, I believe, uh, in that 06-07 season. There's still time for Collins to come good. So I wouldn't be writing him off just yet. Yeah, I completely agree with you there, Tom, about the fact that we are, although that we could have been scoring more goals from, from everyone and, and everyone has been guilty of being a bit uh, uh, profligate in front of goal or wasteful in front of goal. Um, but yeah, we're scoring goals, so it doesn't worry me too much. And I, I, yeah, I just think he will come good um, and he is bringing other people into play. And there also, as I said before, isn't really another option uh, to, to play in, in that forward in that kind of number nine position with Goldrick can play there but we've just seen he's so much more effective when he's playing kind of on as a number 10 um so yeah I would persevere I just thought it was it was interesting tonight because obviously Rossini is desperate for him to get a goal uh no matter what he says because he wouldn't have left him on for the full 90 minutes tonight considering he's got a big game against Plymouth on Saturday but and, and I felt the team kind of managed to resist just trying to set him up. But the last 20 minutes, if maybe it's because of the fans or us projecting their own kind of emotions onto the game, it felt like the last 20 minutes was just all about getting Collins a goal. And that was actually when he started dropping deeper and deeper to try and get involved, which was kind of, I guess, a bit counterproductive for him, but shows his kind of selflessness for the team. Yeah, I agree. I think that there was a little half chance that he had from a little layoff from Barkhausen, which which did sort of seem to look like his teammates were trying to get him in. But It'll happen. It, it'll happen. I'm, I'm, I still have faith. But uh, the bread and butter of the league, then chaps, meanwhile, saw a glorious finish at Pride Park at the weekend uh, with David McGoldrick snatching the points in stoppage time with his first Derby County goal against Peterborough. Um, I couldn't make it to the game, but I was, uh, I was on the way back from, from the park in the car um, with... When I got in the car, we're 1-0 down and uh, I had five live on. And I said, oh, there's been a goal at Derby. 1-0, Jason Knight. I was like, great, fantastic. That'll do. A point isn't the worst result in that situation. You know, still unbeaten at home. They're a good side. We've rescued something from behind. Uh, and then, well, five minutes later, when they said there's been another goal at Pride Park and the news came through, you know, if you can imagine a Ford Focus going down the A2 with all sorts of scenes going on the side there, <laughs> pounding the steering wheel and slightly terrifying my three-year-old daughter in the back of the car. Um, amazing stuff. And just the latest, I don't know if it's me, but we we, we've, we seem to chip in with a lot of late goals in the past like year or two. It seems like we didn't score any for ages. And uh, yeah. now we really seem to, uh, without saying fights at the end, because it's a bit cheesy, but uh, another injury time special. Yeah, I, I think Rossini has touched on it before, and I think we've touched on it before. It, it's going to happen when you do dominate possession. And I know Peterborough down to 10 men as well, but every game, particularly at home and away, to be honest, we've kind of completely monopolised possession. And there's no coincidence when teams do that. It's the same. Think about Manchester United in the 90s and, and uh, early noughties. They weren't a huge, you know, they weren't a team based around possession, but they were con continually knocking on the door and teams get tired defending the whole game. And that's what half teams have to do against us. And we created loads of chances in that first half. Uh, Barclayson was a bit wasteful, I think, uh, on Saturday against Peterborough. But, you know, it's also nice to see that the goal came from a corner because we've had so many, how many corners we had this, this season, Chris? About 25,000 corners in about eight matches or something <laughs> stupid like that. So it was nice to see Jason Knight get on end of one because we know he's missed a couple of uh, decent headed chances this season. And yeah, to get the actual winner, uh, 
in that in that fashion as well was just uh, yeah unbelievable scenes. Uh, Peterborough looked dead in their feet by the end of the game. I think Tom, I heard it on the radio described as a tap in for Didzy, which seems like it's underselling it slightly. I mean, Dobbin does so well on the left to like get it back to goal, turn face, shift it, and uh, and get it across the box. But like Didzy still has to, you know, get goal side of defender keep his head down, keep it low, get it away from the keeper. Like it's, um, you know, it was a moment that required composure and he delivered it, didn't he? Absolutely brilliant from Dobbin down the left-hand side, like just holding the, holding the play up, slowing things down and then using that sort of sharp acceleration to get to the byline, pull that ball across and he picks the man out. It's not an aimless ball. It's um, He's only got one or two players to aim for and he absolutely nails it. And what I love about that is the photo which shows Halverhan and the uh, behind Didzi and the ball's not even in shot yet and Didzi's just pulling back his left foot. He's not even struck the ball and Halverhan's celebrating because he knows exactly what's going to happen. Um, and yeah, as you say, Derby have been relentless at times, like a really strong mentality to really go at a team and believe that um, we can score score goals and we will keep trying to score goals. And even if you look at the games which haven't gone well for us this season, the Charlton and the Shrewsbury results, for example, we kept trying to create chances all the way to the end. And with Charlton, we lost our way a little bit in the second half, but we still we're still like knocking on the door. And with Shrewsbury, it had that late Louis Sibley chance, and we had a couple of balls into the box. That that pass from Dobbin, which was a, a beautiful pass, which got to the the byline, which was then cleared away off the uh, away from the six yard line um, at Shrewsbury. That, Derby have always been creating chances this season. So it doesn't surprise me that finally some of those chances are going to go in. And it's a, it's a game of percentages, isn't it? The more times you put the, uh, the ball into the box, the more times you create opportunities. And, and we've been doing that uh, well over the last few weeks. And I think despite the fact we haven't scored a lot of goals, um, the opportunities have been coming. I think it was something like 55 shots in those first uh, four games. And I think Kutchie said a thousand corners. I think it was a little bit less, maybe 27. But as you say, Brilliant, to, brilliant to see Jason Knight score that header. Um, a poor bit of marking, I would say, from Peterborough. They seem to go zonal, and, and Knight had the the sort of freedom of the Pride Park penalty area to nod that in. But I think, yeah, Derby are looking really good at the moment. I feel really positive about the way we're playing, and fair play to Rosinia for getting that in, getting that in shape in such a short space of time. Three trips to Wembley in one season. What are the odds? Anyone fancy it? I don't know. Seems like it uh, could be well, a long shot. Four? But could we have four? Possibly. We could have four, couldn't we? FA, <laughs> FA Cup, the, the, the FA Cup, Carabao, Papa John's, League One quadruple. The, the very much budget budget quadruple, but, you know, I'll, I'll take I'll take, any I'll of take, those. I'll take one. I'll take one trip to, to Wembley this season. I'll take zero trips to Wembley this season if we finish in the top two as well. <laughs> Fair point. Well, uh, speaking of Wembley, our latest Patreon guest uh, this month for the uh, bonus podcast is a man who knows a little bit about uh, commentating the National Stadium, as I'm sure he has, having travelled around the country and around the world as a uh, as a freelance broadcaster and current match of the day commentator. And, of course... He's an avid, lifelong Derby fan. Uh, Martin Fisher joined us on uh, the Steve Bloomers Washing Patreon for September. Had a fantastic chat with him about his uh, career at Radio Derby and uh, covering Derby County matches, where he's filled in a bit recently for uh, for Red Doors on the local radio, um, commentating a World Cup's run-ins with Paul Gascoigne and Jose Mourinho. Some wonderful tales there. Here is a little snippet of what Martin told us on the Patreon podcast? Well, I guess when I was little, I, I, I mean, I don't know how unusual this is. I, I, 
I don't think it's that abnormal, so I will admit it. But when I was playing football in the garden, I, I would commentate at the same time. It wasn't Martin So did Fischer. I. So did yeah, I. it wasn't Martin abnormal, Fisher goes down the wing and crosses <laughs> it and Martin Fisher heads it in. It was sort of, sort of players of the time and, and me doing the commentary along alongside that. But I can't honestly say at that point in time, I, I was thinking, I want to be a football commentator, a footballer, maybe, but that was, that was never going to happen. Um, so I guess I, I drifted into it through, um, well, listening to obviously TV commentary, but also uh, uh, national radio, but particularly Radio Derby, because, you know, the way to follow Derby County when they're away from home in my day growing up was... Um, on Radio Derby. Lots of people listening to this and you'll probably know the name as well. Uh, Graham Richards was was uh, a hero of mine growing up uh, and I yeah. listened to his every word and, you know, listening to a live game with him commentating was fantastic. So maybe that was the first time when I thought, oh, that would be brilliant and maybe I could do something like that. And then, of course, a few years later, I found myself in Radio Derby's little Ford Fiesta, thundering down the M1 on my way to the likes of Watford and and Southampton and Luton and, uh, you know, living the life, living the dream. Yeah, it's always Graham Richards for me as well. Like, I think we've we've talked about him a lot of times in the podcast. And I just, even in my head now, I can just hear him saying things like, oh, that was a wretched ball from Gabby Adini or something yes. like that, you know. And I'm back in my bedroom as a 14-year-old or something, you know. Yeah. It's just, uh, he really painted a picture. Um, and I hope he's... Uh, I hope he's I hope he's still well for because he's uh, he's in his senior years now, isn't he? I see him occasionally. Um, we we try and get out as a group, um, sort of ex Radio Derby personnel. Um, in fact, through Colin, who I know has also been on this, um, we're trying to get together again soon. But it's very difficult to sort dates as soon as the football season kicks off because of. Uh, my commitments with Champions League and whatever, but we'll we'll hopefully get together again very soon. And Graham's stories are superb um, because, uh, you know, he spins such a good yarn and uh, it, he'll sort of, well, one of the stories he often tells to my expense is, is um, involves Paul Gascoigne. Have you, have you heard that one? I haven't, no, no. But I mean, even if I had, I'd make you tell it again. So <laughs> enlighten us. Uh, right. Okay. So we're going back to late eighties. Uh, Paul Gascoigne is, is in his pomp at Newcastle. This was, I think this was probably his last couple of months at Newcastle before he moved on to Spurs. Um, uh, and we'd, uh, Derby had gone up to St. James's the, the previous November and he'd run the show, but Shilton had had a brilliant game and had saved multiple shots. He'd been superb. And then the return game was on Easter Monday, I think. And and that time as well, one of my earliest, this is even before I really started at Radio Derby, I was, because um, I know your mate Kutch, one of his jobs before was to be the, the mascot, wasn't it, at Derby County? That's so, right, yeah. So I wasn't yeah. the mascot, but I, I was the chap that says, today's team news is number one, so-and-so, number two, so-and-so, and play the, play the music. I did that for a couple of seasons. Um, so um, what, you, so you were like Matt, one of Matt McGibbon's predecessors? Exactly, basically. exactly. Yeah. Um, but we didn't come on the pitch to do anything because the signal was dreadful. In fact, if I moved in my little cubbyhole, you couldn't hear what I was saying. So, so anyway, so... So we'd do that before the game. Then as soon as the game kicked off, I'd come out of my cubbyhole down the tunnel, just turn right past the dugout where Arthur Cox and co were squeezed in. And I had I had a seat right next to them. I mean, fantastic. I could hear Arthur Cox all the way through the game shouting and whatever. And then just before half time, just to make sure I, I got into my position to, to wang on the bangles or whoever, just before the players got off the pitch at half time, I would stand in the mouth of the tunnel. 
okay, for the last two minutes or so. Now, Gascoigne's already been booked and he's trying to kick people and whatever, and he gets sent off about a, right on the stroke of half time. So he gets sent off and everybody's booing him as he comes off and he's walking off the pitch, up the tunnel. And of course, I'm stood in the tunnel thinking, oh, this is, you know, I've got a view of Paul Gascoigne as he comes past. I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, mm, something's going to kick off here. I can just tell. This is before we even really knew about Gaza Gaza. Something's going to happen here. And he got closer and closer and closer. And then I, th- I thought, mm. I thought there's, there's a bucket there on the side of the pitch. I looked at Gaza. I looked at the bucket, looked at Gaza again. I thought, oh, no. Oh, my God. And he got to this bucket and he welled this bucket, which had got the, the magic sponge and um, a lot of water in it. And this bucket went flying upwards, sailing in the air and splashed all over me. And the girl that was stood next to me, who was the girl that did all the teas for all the executives and stuff at half time. And she'd come and stand there like I would at half time. So she got drenched. I got drenched. All the guys already at Derby had seen this. So they thought it was hilarious. I then had to go back into my cubby hole to do the, the half time shift, come back out, got no change of clothing at all. Uh, and was the butt of many a joke, the butt of many jokes for quite a while for that. But the, the other thing was, was that the, the, the club found out that um, the girl had been covered with water. And so they sent her outfit off for dry cleaning. And I think there was talk that she got a new, a new dress or something from it as well. I got absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. No apart from, way. Apart from the you mick. You right up there. I know, the mick taken out of me for quite a while from Messrs. Richards and Gibson. So, yeah, Martin Fisher there, our latest Patreon offering. Uh, as I said, you do get an extra podcast each month from us. If you're kind enough to uh, support Steve Bloomer's Washing, it's patreon.com forward slash Steve Bloomer's Washing, and uh, you'll get a welcome pack, free stuff, and uh, competition prizes, and behind-the-scenes content thrown in as well. Morgan's clearance, Ben Davis first to it. Struck goalwards and in! Jeff Hendrick, the man that missed the glorious chance earlier. My, has he made up for it with that sweet strike. Terrible defending by Forrest. Morgan's clearance was weak. Davis in there quickly to pick up the pieces. Hendrick said, this is mine. Bang, goal. Ten-man derby. Take the lead with less than 20 to go at the city ground. So why derby then? I think it's a good fit for me. And I think I'm a, a good fit for Derby. I, I'm really excited about the prospect of, of working at a club with such huge ambition. And there's a, there's a fantastic foundation already in place here. Yeah. And, and I feel that it's, it's a great opportunity for myself. And what was important to me is that I felt genuinely excited about the next job. Hi, I'm Paul Pesky-Solido, and you're listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or hit follow on SoundCloud. Wow. Nigel Pearson. Did not see that one coming, Kutch. That is... <laughs> You've really dug deep into the, uh, into the Rams TV archives yeah. for that one, haven't you? Incredible stuff. Yeah. It's a good... I like doing this. Every two weeks, I like finding a new manager quote. 
uh, it's uh, it's enjoyable, and I have to shift through a lot of very boring manager chat. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, more more to come. I mean, j- in the future. I mean, I mean, how much Nigel Pearson Derby Manager YouTube content is there? Given he was only there for like about two months, but oh. well, that that was day one. Yeah, I, I don't know. He didn't do an exit interview. I don't think did he. So I don't think there's anything. There's no ostrich chat in a Derby uh, in a Derby jersey, unfortunately. But uh, I've been I've got a few more stored away, uh, or a few more ideas that I haven't quite found the best clip of yet so we should have some decent uh decent managerial nostalgia because we've been we've got through a lot of them particularly in the last 22 uh, years so um yeah more let's look forward to some more uh managerial gold send us your suggestions for uh famous derby county managerial quotes you'd love to see you'd love to hear in the middle of the pod at steve bloomer on twitter and you never know we might use one if if it's any good uh and especially if it involves Nigel Pearson. And if we can find it. <laughs> yeah, if we can find it on YouTube. Transfer deadline day then. Uh, the unfortunate thing is that by the time most people listen to this, it will probably have been and gone. And what we're about to say may be out of date, if not slightly, possibly entirely. But still, how worried are you both about losing players? I, I feel we're in a pretty good place, really. I mean, the only two who you'd imagine already left to leave because all the, the other decent ones who could have gone have gone uh, are Max Bird and Jason Knight. And I feel personally, we're not in the position we were in six months ago where we had to flog all our best young assets to keep the lights on. You know, we're not in that place anymore. We do have some leverage. And I think, I don't know, call me naive, but it seems like Bird and Knight do want to be here. They do seem to genuinely be settled in Derby. Um, I'm a little bit surprised with Knight because I thought once we came down, you look at players who might jump ship or or might get picked off. And I thought Knight would would be one of the first ones, really. But I'm cautiously optimistic, Tom, that we should hold on to both of those players, Max Bird and Jason Knight. How do you feel? Do you think it seems to me that we've got to the point where only like a bid that comes in for Knight would have to be like silly money, really, to to get him. And and even if that... uh, even if that does tempt him, is anyone even prepared to pay what it takes with Jason Knight in the first place? Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. Um, I've read somewhere this week that I think he's uh, there's discussions about a new contract as well, which would be really positive. Uh, a two-year deal is what I've, I've read. Again, I don't know the reliability of that source, but hopefully uh, that will come to fruition. Um, I could see Knight giving us a, a year, uh, but then wanting to move on because he wants to progress his career and progress his international career as well. But equally that said, the Republic of Ireland team aren't the strongest at the moment. So him being in that team, he's not got a great amount of competition. I think he's one of the stronger players. So playing at a, a level lower for a year, maybe two years might might be okay in that sense. Unlike the likes of Bielik, for example, uh, as the Polish national team is much stronger. So confident about keeping Knight. I'm also confident about keeping Bird. Both of those players come through the academy. Both of them Got a lot. I've played a lot of games for Derby, um, and I I don't think that anyone really has the money to to spend that would that, that Derby would accept. I don't think there's the money around in football apart from in those very top clubs. And let's face it, Max Bird and Jason Knight both great players, but they're not going to be signed by the likes of Chelsea or Man City or anything like that. Who are the ones who've got the silly money uh, to throw around? They're going to be going to to a top Championship team like a Watford or a Burnley, and they've got other other players in in. Uh, their priority who are going to try and sort of push them back towards the Premier League so so yeah I'm, I'm confident of keeping both of those players and I think they could really kick on with, with the club over the next few years I just think that Derby are in a much stronger position than they were as you said six months ago and, and also the squads is in quite a good 
quite a good state. So I do, I do think we, I, I don't think we will lose them. I don't want to lose either of them. Um, I think we can hold out for it for decent money, but I honestly don't think for either of them, it will be total disaster. If we, if we were to get good money for one of them, I don't think it would leave uh, a completely irredeemable hole in the first team or, or in the squad. Uh, I think you know central midfield is an area we're very very well stocked. I know that um, there's some concern tonight over an injury to Corey Smith. Uh, I'm sure Racine has been talking about it as we've been uh, recording, so that's maybe a bit of a concern. But with Harahan, with Thompson as well in there, uh, with C Sibley can play centrally. Uh, I, I just think that we, we're kind of well stocked there. Right back obviously is a problem, which is where Knight's doing a good job for us. Uh, but you'd think if we sold one of them for for several million pounds. Um, then we'd be able to find a find a find a replacement. So I think we can sell on our terms, but I don't think we will. And I think we'd be covered if we did lose one of them. Um, I also think, as you said, Chris, that they're both playing really well. You know, then they're not down in tools. There's there's no talk whatsoever that even a disgruntled. If there was any of that going on, that would have played out a month ago. You would have thought. And if there's even talk about signing new deals, then that's really really positive. So fingers crossed, we get through the next couple of days, and we've got both of them still at the club. Uh, and hopefully a couple of additions as well. I guess the ideal situation for Knight is to, that he does get pushed further forward into his favoured position, uh, does what we know he can do best, where he arrives late, scores goals, gets in good positions. Um, and I thought maybe tonight or, or the game against Grimsby would have been a chance for Aduro to to make it easier for Rossini to to say, look, I can be the first choice right back. Go on, stick one of your best players further forward. But... <laughs> Adora was okay, I thought. I had a pretty solid game, but then he did just let himself down at the end when he got caught ball-watching or got caught in behind for the, the goal that Grimsby did score. So maybe Aduro will come good. There was a lot of promise shown by him earlier on in pre-season. Um, but look, at the end of the day, Knight has done more than adequately at right-back. So uh, it's, it's a nice problem to have in that Jason Knight has proved he's so versatile that it looks like maybe it's not such a bad solution after all, Coach. Yeah, Jason Knight's been fantastic at right back, and I'd I'd certainly keep him there if we haven't got another right back option. Uh, I do want to see him in midfield, and I will just actually stick up for a duo a little bit there. I thought he had a really good game tonight. He did he did make the mistake at the end. I think that was a bit of miscommunication as well from Loach. I think Loach could have helped him out a bit more uh, by being a bit more positive. Um, I think with with Aduro, that would be the the concern. Would be getting done kind of with those balls across and in behind. Maybe positionally, obviously he's he's got more to work on. He is a young right back, but I thought on the ball he's fantastic. His passing is so crisp, it's so sharp. Um, you can tell he's kind of come through that kind of Pep Guardiola school of of, of football training because he is positionally he's positionally when we're going forward. I think he's he's doing exactly what Rosinha wants him to do, which is that kind of narrow. Uh, narrow fullback play, kind of inver- inverted wing back almost, um, and, and he's just he's sharp on the ball when, and he and he does he reads the game well. It's just it's just maybe some of those balls in behind, which we know, particularly way Derby play um, when we're kind of monopolising possession, we we are going to get caught in a counter, and, and maybe that's where he's a bit naive. Um, so that would be the concern. I, I think he'll end the season pushing quite hard to be starting in the league, but I think that I think that's probably six months away. Did actually play one hell of a, uh, a long ball over to Mendes Lang for, uh, for for the second goal. So credit where it's due on yeah. that one. Um, Tom, there's um, a few tweets flying around this week that Derby have uh, or are looking for another senior striker and some probably even more tenuous links. Actually, I think picks up by the Sheffield Stars. So maybe there's legs in it that Derby are sniffing around Lee Gregory. 
which seems a very odd rumour to me. I mean, firstly, is there not someone else that we're after? Secondly, it, it seems like he's done really, really well at Sheffield Wednesday. Why would they, a team chasing the top two in League One, uh, voluntarily let go one of the best players to a promotion rival? That one doesn't seem to make sense to me. Yeah, I'd agree. Uh, I'm not quite sure where that's that's come from. And if it does happen, then I thought he did all right for us last year. I thought he uh, chipped in with a few good goals and, and led the line well when he ha- had to. And I don't think he was quite a championship level player, but I think he could definitely do a job uh, in League One. That said, papers always have those those sort of stories and rumours. And if we think about the, the Derby transfers that have happened this summer... How many of those Derby transfers were you aware of before they actually were confirmed, or and then how far in advance? Like this has definitely been a paper talk. It's not the first time that Gregory's been linked to us this summer, um, and I'm sure it won't be the last time. I could see him back being linked back in January, well, or in January again uh, next year if we don't sign him. So I would say that I can't imagine that Gregory will come purely because of the fact that Derby have seemed to have done their business very much under the radar, and also the the. Uh, things that I've read in the papers is that there's a fee there, but I don't think, uh, from my understanding, I don't think Derby can actually pay a, a transfer fee. So that seems a bit wider than Mark from from that. And perhaps a, maybe a little bit of a lazy journalist uh, sort of element because Derby have already had him and therefore it's an easy link to go back to that club because he enjoyed his time here. It sounds like, Tom, that, uh, that that Reggie doesn't really rate Lee Gregory either from uh, from, from what I'm picking up there. <laughs> no, he, he's not a fan, actually. He's uh, he's currently chewing on my my thumb to keep him quiet whilst uh, whilst we chat, if I'm being very honest. but um, Have we yeah, set he... a record for for the youngest person to ever appear on a podcast in the entire world, do you I think? think? <laughs> he's fallen asleep at the uh, thought of Lee Gregory playing up front for Derby. So. That's that's about as strong as some of our Derby chat, to be fair. <laughs> so uh, he's, 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 way ahead of, he's way ahead of us. On, on Lee Gregory, I mean, I think he's... I don't think it would happen either, as you say, particularly as there might need to be a fee and I don't think we're allowed to pay a fee unless we're going to receive a fee from someone else, maybe. Maybe he's been lined up because we maybe have some cash coming in. Hopefully not, uh, bearing in mind our last conversation. Uh, but a, a striker like Lee Gregory uh, would be great, I think, because it would be kind of a like-for-like competition for Collins. Lee Gregory is similar, kind of, you know, he does his work in the box. He worked hard for us last uh, two seasons ago. Um, so I, I think, you know, a striker like that, if we can find one and bring them in that can, can, can compete with Collins, take some of the load off, take some of the pressure off, we can swap them around. You know, if Collins is having a, an off day, you can bring on another striker with, with 25 minutes, 30 minutes to go. I think that's kind of what the squad is lacking at the moment, even if it's a very similar striker to Collins. Uh, just another version of that, uh, I think, would be useful. So I really do hope. I think I'm more... I'm more keen to see a, a striker alternative brought in than a right back because I think I think Jason Knight and Aduro have got it covered as much as I'd love to see Jason Knight have a chance to play in midfield. We could talk about the sensible stuff all night, but uh, let's give the people what they want because it is 25 years today exactly since the first ever league goal scored by Derby, at, scored by anyone at Pride Park. Um, Stefano Aranio getting it in... August 1997 against Barnsley. Um, I mean, Ashley Ward's probably a little bit pissed off because he did score it technically and then the lights failed and it didn't count. Yep. But Iranio got the one that ended up in the record books. So um, it just got me thinking, what is Derby's greatest ever goal scored at Pride Park? Um, 
I mean, Tom, I'll go to you first. I, I don't know if it's the early signs of baby brain kicking in, but you said you were struggling to think of any whatsoever. And the ones you did think of were scored away from home. So I'll give you first dibs on this one. So I actually thought, and I had a lot of consideration on this, and I actually then went, having looked through a couple of highlights reels before the pod, the Bradley Johnson goal against Hull, that liquid football, the interchange on the left-hand side, the one-touch stuff, and then he bangs it in from about 12, 13 yards, having been set up perfectly. It's, it's, it's a great football goal. It is liquid football. Uh, and I think that, therefore, is my my favourite in recent memory Derby County goal uh, at Pride Park. I, this isn't one of mine, I don't think, but is the Rava Morrison goal last season not a better team goal than the Bradley Johnson goal against Hull? The one way he ends by thinking... I did, I did tweet this like, when it happened last season, and most of the responses I got were that Morrison's was better, but I think it's recency bias I agree. kicking in. No, it's not, I, though, because it's such quick, it quick, such quick... Uh, incisive counter-attacking football from the tackle at the back to a couple of one-touch passes in the middle to the breakthrough, the plunge, uh, the Morrison step over the plunge layoff and then the dink. I mean, for me, it's a, it's a much more easier on the eye goal when it happens all in about 12 seconds. But just because it happens so quickly doesn't mean it's a brilliant team goal. So for me, it's a better goal than the Bradley Johnson goal. Both good goals, sure. But uh, Ravel would take it for me, but not, it wouldn't be in my top. There's a debate there about whether Ravel Morrison was offside. It's a good job we don't play in the Premier League because uh, I'm pretty sure that it might have, been, might have been chalked off. I just think that the Johnson goal, because of the, the close proximity of it, because it's it's all neat interchanges in like short range passes and therefore the pressure on the ball is a lot stronger. Uh, and that's what I like about that one. The, the, the thing with the, the goal for Morrison against Barnsley is that two or three of those passes are quite along the floor, sort of 20, 30-yard passes, and it just shows that the the press have been beaten already. Um, I do agree. I thought that Morrison goal was outstanding and it was it was in consideration. But I just I just like the quick, the, the fact that it was slow and then sped up so quickly uh, with that Johnson goal. And it was a sort of nicely finish with a, uh, into, into the same, into the North Stand goal. So that's why I went for that one ahead of the, ahead of the Ravel Morrison goal. What one, the last, the last point I'll make on the comparison with these two goals <laughs> is... Would Derby have been able to score the Bradley Johnson goal on the pitch that Ravel Morrison scored that goal on? Because last season, as you both know, yeah. our pitch was an absolute disgrace, um, which isn't anyone's fault. It just we just ran out of money. Um, whereas, if memory serves, the pitch that we scored the goal against Hull on was quite the quite the carpet. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like uh, you know we we had to battle against. The elements to, to score a Ravel Morrison goal, which is another another um, another thing in its favour. I take the point about recency bias because it is always easy to look back. I mean, I mean Christian Bielitz goal against Birmingham, the, the Bielitz bicycle was an outstanding goal, and, and the, everything about that occasion kind of puts it up there for me. But again, it's last, it's just so recent. The two Tom Lawrence goals, yeah, incredible goals, stand up on their own in any season. I think so. There's, there's there was some really good goals last season. I'll just give a lot more credit to them if we actually stayed up. You know, if we actually stayed up then I think some of those goals would go down and really go down in, in, in Derby County folklore. So I, th- I think the important thing to consider when you talk about the best goal in any context is you have to think about like the opposition and, uh, and, and the situation at the time. And that is why my favourite or what I consider to be the best goal ever scored at Pride Park by Derby is Big Paolo, Man United, 1997, mm. It's it's an amazing goal. It's so good because he gets the ball off Chrissy Powell back to goal and then proceeds to 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 nutmeg Gary Neville, nutmeg Henningberg, and nutmeg Peter Schmeichel, the best goalkeeper and the best team in the country who were the Premier League champions 
and he'd win the treble the season after. He just made them all look completely, utterly stupid. And I don't know, we'll never score a goal anyway near similar to that goal that Wanchup scored. So that's why, in my head, it's one of, if not the best goal scored at Pride Park, Tom. Yeah, I can totally see that. And actually, um, it's a goal that I had forgotten about until you mentioned it. And then I just remember like Gary Neville looking like inept and hopeless on the right, right fullback position. And in that saying, let's have a comparative goal there in terms of quality of opposition and also importance. Um, Dean Sturridge against Arsenal. That was a that was an Arsenal team that I believe won the double that year, uh, a 3-0 uh, derby victory that day. Uh, Emmanuel Petit, one of the best defensive midfielders who would go on to win a World Cup with France. Um, absolutely shrugged off the ball. And then David Seaman, England number one goalkeeper, uh, made it look stupid. So, yeah, there's. I would say one chop's goal is slightly better. But um, Dean Sturridge has got to be in that conversation as well for that fantastic third goal against Arsenal. Also, bonus points for that goal because uh, when Arsenal lump it upfield, the ball bounces off the corner flag and back into play again. Fun fact. Or <laughs> Matt Carbon launches it upfield. Yeah. And not many goals in consideration have that in their, in their locker, do they? Or Matt Carbon launching out of field. Um, <laughs> no, I think um, I think what's also fascinating about this, both the Sturridge and Wanchop is the parallels because they both also scored great goals against the same opposition at the away grounds, didn't they? Dean Sturridge scored some great goals at Highbury and Pala Wanchop, as we all know, scored that fantastic goal at Old Trafford, which I think you believe, Chris, the Wanchop goal at Pride Park is a better goal than the Wanchop goal at Old Trafford. That's right. That's my unpopular you opinion. you told him? Yeah, I told him in person and he disagreed, which is it, which is fine because he scored them. So, you know, <laughs> let him off. He's a, yeah. So He's wrong. I'll give you my one. I, I, I do I do love I do love both the Wanchop and, and the Sturridge one. I think they're, they're fantastic. And they I think they would definitely be in a top three. Uh, my, my one I'm picking out is Will Hughes uh, against Brighton. I think a horribly underrated uh, Derby County goal. Um, we we didn't see Will Hughes score enough goals, but my God, was that one sexy as hell? We, we were the, we were all there actually that night in the south stand. It's Craig Forsyth ball in, I think, from from the left from the left wing, and Will Hughes is running across the goal, you know, towards the near post, but about what 12, 12 14, 15 yards out, just inside the penalty area, and he just lets it through his legs and hits it with his left foot inside in step of his left foot, and it goes. It goes into the into the far bottom far post bottom corner and absolute scenes. And I think what what goal was that on the night? Was that like second or third goal was, of the night? That was number one on the night. Was it number one? Yeah. There you go. I mean that. And talk, talking about context and a big game. Obviously, we'd taken the lead from from the Amex up to Bright Park, and so getting the first goal that night was vital. And and uh, that was just a stunning, stunning effort and uh, a real moment of class in front of the South. Does he take? Does Hughesy take it on the half volley with? With like a Cruyff, is it touch. kind of bouncing? Yeah, that's what yeah. that, that's what happened in my head. It, it's just like you're completely right. It's like an outrageous piece of skill in a game of such importance, and it's definitely in the conversation, Tom. Yeah, absolutely. That was a brilliant, a brilliant day uh, and a brilliant goal from a brilliant player. And it's such a shame that Gary Barrett thought it was a good idea to sell him. Um, T- talking about taking leads from the Amex, it was Chris Martin who scored at least one of the goals, maybe two if it wasn't a known goal in that first leg. I was just thinking another goal that I remember was the uh, Chris Martin free kick against Bournemouth, which is an absolute thunder bastard into the top corner. And I think maybe a conversation for another time could be a great free kick scored at Pride Park because I think Avanio must have bagged one. I think by, uh, Carbonari scored a good one against Chelsea uh, in the late 90s as well. So I think uh, for another day, not for today, but a uh, great free kick scored at Pride Park would be uh, another good discussion point. Well, I will jump in just to add in my favourite free kick at Pride Park because it, it was in my top three of goals at Pride Park. Again, it was one that was there 
David Jones against Sheffield Wednesday. I think it was like 91st, 92nd minute uh, in the Billy Davis season. Um, and we won. It was just classic uh, Billy Davis. You know, we kind of fought the whole game. And then the, the, where where we win the free kick, I think it was Craig Fagan wins the free kick on the right-hand side of the penalty box in front of a north stand. And it's such a tight angle. Everyone's expecting David Jones just to float it into the box. And he just pings it, absolutely pings it into the near top, uh, near top corner. And uh, I was sat in the West End that day. It was just such a fantastic goal. It's one that's always stuck in my memory. So that that's in my favourites. And then I think, um, obviously, if we're going to have that free kick chat Sunday, let's chuck in a few of those Branco's Trooper specials at Pride Park because there were some fantastic free kicks from that man. How, how, is, how are we not talking about Derby free kicks and not mentioning Idiarkes yet? That's a that's like a huge oversight. <laughs> I feel that Idiarkes scored half a dozen of Derby's best ever free kicks on his own. But... Anyway, stay tuned in October for uh, Derby County's best free kicks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even joking. Would be a good show. That'd be a, that'd be a pleasure yeah. to record, wouldn't it? Um, I think we're going to. Uh, I think we'll leave it there. I reckon we've basically settled up. Not really settled. Got anywhere close on what's the best Derby County goal that they've ever scored at Pride Park. But we were never going to. Where we were never going to solve that solve that riddle. Um, so we'll be back in a couple of weeks recording from an actual studio coach aren't we yes we're going to go and test out the uh, brew dog uh, studios at Waterloo so uh, hopefully that works that works well you've started the outro already Tom thanks for joining us yep all the best coach <laughs> cheers mate so, yeah, yeah all the best take care Great work. I uh, I panicked slightly when the music came in, but <laughs> I, I quite like the panic. No, just, it's good. Yeah, it's good. When we've, done, when we've done it in person, it's worked well. When I just start <laughs> hiring you up with the <laughs> it's jeopardy, isn't it? With the outro, and you just press stop, see what happens.